This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective. Welcome back, everyone, to World to Win. We took a slight break. You know, it's the summertime. People are traveling. It's getting really hot. Um, but we're back in action today with an exciting episode with two returning guests. Let's see if you can guess who they are. Um, you know, over the our period on World to Win, we've talked a lot about the explosive events in Latin America. But today we're going to talk about a country that we've never discussed before. The International Socialist Alternative has a new article about it. So I'm very excited for today's episode, as I am with all episodes. But today is going to be a, a new one for everyone. So first, I want to say hi to Yara. Yara, I haven't seen you in so many weeks. How have you been? I know. It's been really, really busy. Even though it's a summer, um, we have our annual Congress of the England, Wales and Scotland section in September. So we've been really busy preparing for that, reading all the documents. Uh, so yeah, it's been hectic, but I'm really glad to see you again. We're, we're doing the same thing here in the U.S. We have our national convention coming up, so I feel like we're kind of kind of in the same zone, but yeah, it's so good to see you too. Um, so this week, if you haven't been able to figure it out, which country in the Caribbean, another clue that we haven't talked about, it's Haiti. There have been explosive events that have happened there. I'm sure many of you have heard um, that recently President Moise was uh, assassinated by hired mercenaries. Um, and it comes in this context of a deepening economic crisis, social turmoil. Um, you know, they've had protests um, for years, actually, um, in Haiti, which we're going to talk a lot about. Unfortunately, this is under the context of 60% of Haitians living in dire poverty. Um, and shockingly, up to last month, Haiti hadn't received a single dose of the COVID vaccine, which is absolutely criminal, as we know, and we've talked a lot about that on this show. Um, but today, we're going to welcome back two guests. Um, we have Algier from New York, and we have Eric from Philly. So first, I want to talk to you, Algier. How have you been? What have you been up to lately? Well, first of all, thank you for having me once again. Uh, feeling good. Uh, just a lot of activity and organizing uh, taking place here in New York and, of course, throughout the United States around the Shamus Awant uh, campaign to make sure she remains in her seat against the right-wing recall. I'm glad you brought that up. For any U.S. citizen living anywhere in the world, please consider donating to the Shama Solidarity Campaign. Um, you can find a link on socialistalternative.org um, to make sure that we defend the only socialist Marxist city councilor um, in the U.S. So thanks for plugging that, Algier. Eric, how have you been? I've been doing good. Um, I re recently went to some rent control canvases to talk to regular working class people about rent control. But two of the big things that I've done is I went down to D.C. with a couple of other SA members to be in solidarity with Cory Bush and the protesters there who were occupying the steps of the Capitol building to extend the eviction moratorium, which happened. And also dedicated my time to fight back against the right-wing racist recall campaign in Seattle. And I got some gear to prove that, too. Finally, the squad getting some work done, Eric. Who would have thought that protest would make change? I'm so glad that you were able um, to get down there. Um, we'll have to talk about it another time because I'm sure it was super exciting. But let's get started with today's episode. So let's get right into the discussion. I want to start first with Eric. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the background leading up um, to the former president, well, former um, assassination, um, and why someone would... Uh, take these measures, why someone would kill the president of Haiti. 
Yeah, I think it's important to first recognize that Moise was not some friend of the people. He was a opportunist. He was a bureaucrat that thrived on corruption. But that was really one of the core reasons that he was assassinated. He was locked in a power struggle with the other elites of the Haitian society. And I think the ruling class, to a degree, did not like how corrupt Moise was. He was operating at basically by decree, without elections for really up to two years at this point. And so we now we know there's actually not just one conspiracy, there are two conspiracies. There was a conspiracy by Christian Sanon, who is a Haitian doctor uh, located in Florida, who had aspirations to rule Haiti. He is a nobody in Haitian politics, uh, but apparently he got hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a contract with a Colombian mercenary a, a company, CTU, they were going to try to kidnap the president and then negotiate to take over Haiti. It's, obviously, he's not the only one involved in this because he was declared bankruptcy. There was another conspiracy with several of his bodyguard units, Sanon, actually went in there and were going to assassinate the president. They were not going to cooperate with Sanon, which speaks to larger influences at play. And since afterwards, to quickly talk about the situation, to talk about like it really is bigger than just this one person, this Haitian person in Florida. Judges are being issued death threats saying that they should not open this investigation. Investigators have basically stopped investigating all out because they can't even investigate out of fear of the safety. So it's really just a whole mess of the ruling class of Haiti fighting against one another for profit and power. Thank you, Eric. I think this is really interesting. But I want to take it back a little bit because obviously, like you said, it's not like he was adored in any way, shape or form. And it's not just by the ruling class, but also by the people in Haiti. Like the, the, There's been a movement against him since 2018, but it was still ongoing this year. And I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about this movement, what, what they were saying, what they were doing. Yeah, definitely. So really from... Not like from 2018, even though they didn't officially start in 2018, but from 2018 to 2021, there has been consistent general strikes and mass mobilization of the Haitian people, which are predominantly youth. Half of the population is under the age of 25. And they saw really, I cannot pronounce the word, but in the English translation, it means lockdown. So the entire country was essentially in lockdown. Roads were blocked off with barricades. You had general strikes and massive industries like the garment industry. And you had mass protests, tens of thousands of people in going out into the streets against the Haitian ruling class and were met with armed uh, repression by the Haitian police and also paramilitary gangs, etc. And I think the core reasons why they kind of mobilized out into the streets, I mean, it's not really one issue in Haitian society. It's like a, a culmination of issues in Haitian society. You have one that completely failure of democracy in Haiti, it, you only have 10 senators elected in Haiti to actually have a mandate. The lower parliament had to be dissolved because there was no mandate. So the Haitian people felt they have no voice and they correctly understand they have no voice in Haiti, how Haiti operates. You have increasing setbacks with COVID, the COVID economy, the COVID uh, really shut down the economy for a good bit, which really for Haiti, well, already 6% in poverty meant even more uh, suffering day to day. And you also have Petrocarbe, which uh, Moise freaking um, stole billions of dollars from a program with Venezuela for 
uh, oil, which started initially started a protest in 2018, but right now at this point, it's no going back uh, to like peace or normal in Haiti, which rarely there are those times because the Haitian people says enough is enough. We need a total transformation of really society, Haitian society. Eric, I learned so much from reading the article, actually, that you just wrote, and I forgot about all of the things that have happened over the past few years um, about Haiti. And one thing that you mentioned was the the terrible earthquake um, that happened some years back and all of the uh, corruption involved with, um, you know, financial aid that was supposed to go to Haiti to help, um, you know, with that uh terrible, terrible natural disaster that destroyed um, many parts of the country. So um, if you want to read more about this, uh, you can check out Eric's article. Um, it's in the link below. It's it's really good. But can you go into a little bit what you talked about in this article, you know, explaining some of these horrendous conditions that um, Haitian people um, face, but especially um, in regards to U.S. imperialism? Yes, I think I definitely can. In order to understand the situation in Haiti, you have to understand the role of U.S. imperialism. The U.S. has, you know, always been involved in Haiti really since the 1804 revolution with a military occupation in 1915 to 1934. But even recently, Haiti has, I mean, U.S., the U.S. floods Haiti with cheap products, literally uh, rice, energy, agricultural goods, because the Haitian market has basically been ripped apart not just from neoliberalism but also from the 2010 earthquake where you saw the UN breaking cholera making cholera epidemic and you also had US politicians namely Bill and Hillary Clinton with their multiple foundations being literally called the kings and queens of Haiti like they were they were able to kind of grab all the social services uh, in Haiti and completely privatize it through NGOs and nonprofits and you also have these horrendous trade packs for Haiti it voted for by the United States. There's a trade pact. One of them is called Hope Two, which is so ironic because it's the most unhopeful document that the U.S. has written regards to Haiti. And they basically get rid of all the tariffs of goods in Haiti, particularly the garment industry. And the garment industry produces 85% of the exports to the United States that Haiti uh, has. So the garment industry is basically tens of thousands of workers making millions of pieces of cloth for overseas markets, particularly the United States, and you have free trade zones where foreign companies can operate in Haiti in these zones and not pay any taxes for 15 years. And so Haiti is not a poor country. It's actually very rich in terms of its, the labor and the creativity of its people. It's actually being exploited. And it, that's the reason why the capitalist class internationally, particularly the U.S., has created the conditions where they can exploit a predominantly young workforce and for really no money whatsoever. Uh, and I guess the, I think the last thing also is that even today, we're seeing still the U.S. imperialism basically dictating the policies in Haiti. You have Biden literally telling people after Moise was assassinated, do not come over here, which is, like, guess their favorite slogan. They've been saying it all over the place. And you also have the Department of Homeland Security, FBI, in, in basically investigating the assassination of Moise, completely out of the jurisdiction, because they don't regard Haiti as an independent country. They regard it as really property of the United States. And that's why I said in the article that Haiti is trapped as a neocolony 
to the United States. This is really interesting, and I think the connection to kind of neocolonialism is really important, especially when we look at places like Haiti that has that have a long history of colonization. You know, like first by Spain, then by France, and actually, I think it's really uh, kind of important that we mention the fact that on this month, two hundred thirty years ago, so in seventeen ninety one, there was one of the first slave revolts in Haiti that, you know, within a few decades, there was a full revolution uh, that was incredible in, in, uh, in Haiti. So I was wondering, LJ, can you explain to us what happened, how this movement started? Yeah, I, I think actually when we think of the Haitian Revolution and its beginnings in 1791, we have to turn the clock back a little bit uh, to the bourgeois revolution uh, in, in the United, well, what would become the United States, the American Revolution of 1776 that overthrew uh, British imperial power. And then uh, the key, what really was the germ that really gave the impetus for the, for the rebellion and then, of course, then the revolution, uh, the Haitian Revolution. And that is uh, the French Revolution of 1789, two years previously, which was the period of enlightenment, a period of liberty, of fraternity. Uh, of, of equality uh, and really saw the downfall of the monarchy. This had a profound effect on the consciousness of, uh, of, of mulattoes who, uh, and free blacks, of the French who were fighting against the monarchy and, and tore down uh, the monarchy and opened up a period really of, of the emergence of, of, cap, of the capitalist class uh, in uh, French uh, society, uh, particularly the mercantile. Uh, merchant class uh, that would emerge very powerful uh, and certainly this had a profound effect uh, on the events uh, in the consciousness uh, of the masses there and certainly uh, when we think of uh, Haitian society and you're correct to say it was controlled the island was controlled in two halves one half by Spain the other half by the French um, but we had deep deep class and interracial conflict uh, that was developed and really constructed, really to control uh, the the society, control the masses, particularly the enslaved Africans uh, who had been transported there uh, with the uh, with the with the with the, uh, uh, the slave trade. And in many ways, we have to look at this not from 1791 or 1776 or 1789. We have to look at this from the maiden voyage of Christopher Columbus, 1492 and 1493, because that's really the beginning stages of what we understand as slavery, as, as global racism and oppression and exploitation. I think this is so interesting because, you know, I, I didn't really know anything about the Haitian Revolution and preparing for this episode, I read about it. And it's one of these kind of like most incredible events in history. I, like, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that. Like concern, like you know, when we look at all of the things that you just mentioned, and I wanted to know if you can explain a little bit more about kind of like how this played out, how these kind of first revolts turned into this revolution, and kind of how this happened because it was the first successful kind of slave revolution. Well, it was rooted really in the the, the brutal reality of life as a slave working on the plantations we have to re we have to kind of think about this because there are three distinct classes uh in, in 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 haitian society at that time you had the big landowners uh known as the big whites you had the small uh, the small whites as they were called and they were kind of the petty bourgeois 
of the society. And then you had the mulattoes, uh, many of them the byproduct, actually, of sexual violence against enslaved Africans. They had limited, they also owned land as well. Uh, but their rights, uh, their citizenship was very uh, trunk, uh, truncated, uh, in fact. So the early stages of, of the revolt took place in an, uh, around the question of democratic rights, the, took, uh, uh, took place on the question of the brutality of the big and small whites to control the enslaved Africans working on the massive plantations. Haiti, or the island of Hispaniola, was the most prosperous uh, island in the world. It really was the anchor to the slave trade. And so when the rebellions began on the various plantations, this had a profound effect. This is also taking place as the French Revolution was also in, pro in, in process as well. And so you, you have the events on the island, you have the events in France, you have the emergence of, of leadership that come about, and certainly we all know the name of Toussaint Leverture, Dessalines, uh, that would complete the revolution in 1804. And so the, the, the nature of the rising consciousness, the brutal reality that was taking place in Haitian society uh, led to the various rebellions taking place. Uh, and in fact, which we could try, probably talk about later, it would have a profound effect for the United States as well, because the threat of rebellion, remember, what we understand is the United States is born in 1776. They, uh, it's a new nation state and it's a slave society. And so they're fearful of what could emerge in the sense of slave rebellions and the, the conspiracy of slave rebellions. So George Washington, Jefferson, and all the founding fathers were terrified of what could emerge in their own backyard in Haiti being, uh, being in the Western Hemisphere. So, Algeria, you're talking about this extremely inspiring revolution that's, you know, being uh, influenced by world events. Um, you know, the independence uh, from France that's happening, but also the things that are going on in France, I think, is an interesting dynamic. Um, you know, and this revolution eventually abolishes slavery. Um, we see the world's first black republic, which is still today talked about, um, you know, by black youth. And, and I heard this a lot um, in discussion coming um, out of the Black Lives Matter movement, the George Floyd Rebellion, etc. Um, but sadly, we see since then, over the past hundreds of years, um, you know, until today, the Haitian workers um, and the poor continue to experience devastating misery. Um, and many of them, you know, have even had to emigrate to the United States. We have a huge Haitian population here. Um, and so Haiti itself has formal independence. Um, but in reality, as Eric mentioned, it's, you know, a neo-colony. Um, so I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. Um, but what went wrong in the Haitian Revolution? Well, I think a number of things went wrong. We've got to keep in mind that this was part of a, a struggle among uh, the ruling elite uh, that represented the uh, Britain, uh, the Spaniards, uh, the French. And this was a crucial element of who would control the markets of, of slavery, right? Who could control the island itself? Uh, and it was, uh, you know, the British, the Spaniards, and certainly the French tried to take the island a number of times. One of the crises that, that took place was the fact that there was no revolutionary leadership, actually, uh, that would be able to certainly yeah, take inspiration from the French Revolution, which was also going through deep crisis and a counter-revolution, uh, where you would see the rise of Bonaparte in 1801, 
who will attempt to t retake the island uh, uh, in 1802, 1803, 1804. And so there was no revolutionary leadership, no organization. Toussaint was a powerful figure uh, in society. But we must keep in mind that Toussaint was, um, he definitely took the germ of, of, of French sensibility to, to heart. Uh, and he continued certain elements of the plantation system. Uh, he was in some ways uh, a viceroy of Haitian society, you know, ordained by, uh, by the French. Um, he did various different things to cut deals with the Spaniards at moments, uh, with, with the British at moments. And so you didn't have the type of leadership that you would have in the Russian Revolution of 1917, led by the Bolsheviks. Lenin and Trotsky as his principal leaders. Uh, you didn't have that in Haitian society. You had uh, basically a slave revolt, a slave rebellion, a slave revolution. And certainly they created one of the most important events in human history. But at the same time, the things that Eric is talking about, what he laid out concretely is the fact uh, that uh, Toussaint Louverture had deeper faith in the French Revolution and, 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 and the prospects of the French Revolution. And so it did not develop organization nor a multi-layer leadership that would in fact continue the revolutionary process. Um, and what happens eventually is basically decades on decades of counter-revolution and also the intra-class and interracial dynamics begin to continue to play itself out, going up to the Devalliers, the, the Popper Doc, Baby Doc, uh, Moises, on and on and on. And so in some ways the germs of that is really rooted in the fact the revolution was incomplete, concretely. I think because this is such a big topic that I think so many more people like me don't know enough about, it would be really, really useful to kind of know where we can learn more. So I've read this really interesting article uh, that made me really want to read uh, the book, The Black Jacobins. Uh, just the other day, it will be linked in the comment, in, in, the, in the description box. But I was wondering, what kind of kind of books or pamphlets or anything uh, is uh, are there for us to learn more about this? Well, there, I mean, there are a number of contemporary uh, Haitian historians uh, that have written about this, but the, the the within your question, you raised probably the most celebrated book of the Haitian Revolution, and that is the Black Jack Black Jacobins by Celar James. Celar James. It was published in 1938, and, and in fact, this year marks his 100th and 20th birthday. Uh, and so uh, it stands alongside uh, uh, Leon Trotsky's history of the Russian Revolution. Certainly James is not a participant the way Trotsky is in the events of the Russian Revolution, uh, but his, his, uh, his work from the standpoint of really digging into uh, the French Revolution, uh, digging into the, the history of Hispanola um, is really significant. But it's told from the perspective, which I think is the crucial germ in all of this. It's told from the perspective of the working class, of the oppressed, of the wretched of the earth. Uh, and so uh, that's the power of the book. And it chronicles the process. Now, James was part of the Trotskyist movement, or the Marxist movement, for about 10 years. Uh, and when he was writing this, he was deeply affected uh, and definitely take, took, took notes uh, from Trotsky's history of the Russian Revolution, and particularly when you read it, the kind of rhythm it has, it has a little bit of, of Trotsky's uh, approach. Um, and so I think that's one book 
uh, that we can we really can start with as a starting point. But certainly there are great contemporary Haitian thinkers and writers who really dig deeper into the Haitian Revolution and thereafter, of course. So definitely the Black Jacobins. I highly, highly recommend. This has been a great episode. I think, you know, having a topic that we haven't yet discussed, but something that is so, um, you know, current and, and happening in real time, I think is super important. So I'm glad Algier and Eric have been able to take the time to come out and talk with us today. Um, along with Algier's plug for a book you can read, again, I want to plug Eric's article that he just wrote. I thought it was really ex excellent synopsis of the situation um, that's happening in Haiti today. Uh, so I want to take a moment before we go to our shout out of the week um, to ask you both, uh, you know, what you think the way forward is for um, the Haitian working class and youth. So, Eric, let's start with you. Yeah, I think first things first is to recognize the need for for analysis that points to the working class as the center of change and the, or, and the motor of change. Oftentimes when we talk about Haiti, there's never mentioned the Haitian working class. It's almost as if everyone in Haiti chills out on the island being sad and poor all day. But that is not the case. Every moment in Haiti, even in the 20th century, we saw the Haitian working class going out into the streets, fighting against, not only against their own ruling class, but U.S. imperialism, and we're seeing that today. And that's why you look at these massive protests, and even though 99% of the population speaks Creole, they have English signs, because they are trying to appeal to the broader working class internationally, and really pointing the blame at not just Moise, but also against Biden and uh, Hillary Clinton, etc. So the way forward is to look at the garment workers, for example. Imagine if 50,000 garment workers in Haiti go on strike. That is basically <laughs> like the whole uh, garment industry is put on hold. That is the power of the Haitian working class. And the ruling class of both the U.S. and Haiti know that. And it's also to recognize, I think, recognizing the enemy of the Haitian ruling class being tools of imperialism. And I think that's the most important thing to understand. It's like we know how corrupt the leadership is and what their tools for and ultimately their aims for. But we also need our own organizations, our own leadership. And I think really want to echo Algiers' point that every time that the Haitian working class and the oppressed were close to power, there was a question of leadership. And that hesitancy of how do we actually deliver the gains that we need, the ruling class, and really U.S. imperialism swept in to save the day. And so I think that's the most important need, important understanding. What is the organ of change? It's the working class. And how do we develop the leadership to actually end the misery of Haiti once and for all? Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think there's, there's this kind of like recurring element every time we talk about the underdeveloped world that when people talk about what can be done, it's always what other external elements can do for them. But when we see what these external elements like US imperialism actually do, it's not very much for the working class and if anything, making the situation much worse in a lot of cases. So I think that point that you're making about how the working class is like we always repeat the agent of change and it's not just in the developed world it's not just in like you know western countries but it's everywhere around the globe and the power that the working class have is the main way to get the underdeveloped world to become developed and to become actually prosperous and in the, in the kind of prosperity that would actually benefit 
everyone, including the working class. And that has to be done on an international level. So I think it's a really good opportunity to kind of uh, push that everyone who's watching us around the world, no matter where you are, uh, join us. And you're going to have all the links here in the description box to join us. But we're really looking forward uh, to hearing from you because that is the only way that we can move anything forward, whether it's in our respective countries or in places like Haiti and other kind of like neo-colonized uh, areas. But I wanted to ask you too, Algier, what, what do you think about this? What is the way forward? Well, certainly um, as someone born and raised in the United States, for me, my point of, my point of entry into politics uh, was events in Africa. It was Central Africa, it was the Congo. Uh, it was internationalism. It wasn't even what was taking place in the United States in the late 80s and early 90s and mid 90s. And so for this new generation that's emerging, Haiti and Haitian Revolution or that Russian Revolution are great uh, study guides, not of just philosophical conversation, but in fact of presenting an action program of understanding events, how events shape consciousness, how do we organize effectively. And I think this is where we are today for this generation. You know, the permanent revolution was uh, developed by Marx and Engels. It was further perfected by Trotsky and the Bolsheviks and the understanding that this struggle is a continuum, right? It will have its own different rhythm depending on location, based on time and space. But nonetheless, it will take place and the forces that could end it would not be the bourgeoisie. They have their own interests at stake. They're about profits, they're about power, they're about prestige, they're about influence and maintaining that power by any means necessary. So what's gonna take for us to, to, to break the shackles of oppression and exploitation that has existed if we put the marker down and date 1492 to this very moment, it will take the international working class to see its own power, its own potential and to actualize it through what? Organization, program, leadership, and solidarity with the entire world. And so that is where I think we are at this historical moment. And I think this generation, if we're gonna end the misery that exists there, the Haitian Revolution is a great, great study guide to really figure out how do we go about breaking the chains of capitalist oppression and racial oppression. I want to thank you both for coming on our show today. This has been great. Um, you've left us with not only some good things to read, but also some good lessons, um, you know, and talking about uh, uh, what's going on in Haiti today, I think is is super important, as Algier said, for the international working class, um, you know, to show solidarity, et cetera. So I want to thank you both for coming on and hopefully we'll see you again real soon. We say this all the time, Yara, but that was really a good episode. I mean, it. I love talking about things that we don't talk about so often. Um, and so... I feel yeah, like these last few episodes, we've been talking about really interesting things that I don't remember ever talking uh, about before, not just on World to Win, but generally. So it's. I, I really like this, these kind of episodes. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, I mean, talking about a country like like Haiti. Um, and I, I loved how Eric was mentioning the effects of US imperialism, like literally naming out, uh, you know, what what imperialism does to countries, um, you know, but also something we didn't talk about um, in regards to underdeveloped countries is the effects of climate change on them, you know, um, it's, I think, understated when we're talking about climate change, how much 
uh, or actually how little underdeveloped countries contribute to the problem, but are then going to be affected even greater um, than the, you know, the big polluters. And so, um, you know, just kind of when we're talking about imperialism, I think it's important for us to also add, uh, you know, climate catastrophe into that discussion as well. Definitely. And, you know, like, I think Haiti is a perfect example for this. Like, they're an island, have hurricanes, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse with climate change. And I think this is also really topical because we've just had the IPCC report that is basically, like, it was obviously we knew everything about it, but at the same time, seeing it like that black and white was just shocking, really. And, you know, the scale of destruction that capitalism has inflicted on our planet has never been more clear than this report, I think. And, you know, that, I think that one of the facts that they were saying is that, like, it's warmer now than it's been for, uh, like, the last hundred, a uh, hundred thousand years, which, like, it, it's just, you know, like, let's take a second to kind of understand what that means. And scientists are kind of showing this clear link between th this extreme weather that we're also talking about when in relation to Haiti but generally around the world like we've seen it literally everywhere um and and in the last decade or so and also climate change like it does it's not coming out of nowhere you know like it's it's all and and, and this clear I don't think anyone, I mean, obviously some people are still denying it, but I think it's very, very difficult to deny it now when we're seeing these devastating effects on the climate. Well, Yara, I live in the US. There are tons of people who deny it. It's crazy. But even the report doesn't, like, it, even, yeah, the people who don't deny it, they're not properly blaming. They say it's, you know, humans. No. It's capitalism. It's capitalism that's doing this. Um, I mean, there, there have been humans for quite a while, and yet it's only the last few decades. So how is it human nature to destroy the planet? So what are we going to do about it, Yara? Well, I think we've talked about this a lot on World to Win as well. And obviously, we always kind of say how important it is to connect it to capitalism. And obviously, the solution is to get rid of the capitalist system and to put in place a system that's not built on profit or allowing people like Jeff Bezos to go to space and spend billions on that instead of the actual like lives of people on this planet. Uh, and this system is socialism. There's no other system that's going to put our lives in, like, in front of profit. And that is what we need to do. But I think the question is how we're going to fight for it. So I want to give the shout out of the week to our international mobilization to the COP26 uh, conference in Glasgow. And that's going to happen in November. And we are organizing a really, really big and impressive international intervention into the protests around it. You know, our members from all around the world are going to come to Glasgow in the UK uh, to protest the summit and bring these socialist ideas that we keep talking about on this show and generally on the streets as part of the International Socialist Alternative. We're going to bring them into this, the, 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 the climate movement, but I think even more importantly, we're going to bring the strategies that we have because I don't know if you feel like that, uh, Toya, but every time we go to these kind of like environmental protests, there's always 
especially in the last few years, there's always this really deep understanding that the problem is the system. But how do we defeat the system? I think this is something that us as a socialist organization can really, really bring to kind of elevate the struggle and move it forward properly. So I want to ask everyone who's watching, if you're available in early November, the dates are going to be down and also a form to register with us. At register, come with us to Glasgow, protest with us and be part of this bigger change against climate change. I wish I could be there, but I can't wait to see, um, you know, the photos and the videos. And I highly encourage um, people to, to make the trip if they can. I'm sure we're going to see every time I go to an environmental protest, I see younger and younger kids there, um, you know, wanting to fight for a, a better future for them. Um, so I want to thank everybody for watching World to Win today. Make sure you like this video. If you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe to our channel. And we're on all the podcast channels that you listen to. We're there. Um, so share this video and we'll see you guys next week. This is World to Win. Every Sunday we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast-moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When they fight! When they fight! When they fight! Solidarity!